Welcome to another edition of Thriving Churches. This is Tammy Jackson. I am the senior pastor here at Anniston First United Methodist Church. I am again alone today because um, Davis Johnson has been on um, spring break and Kyle Bryan is on paternity leave for a few days. And so uh, last time on our last podcast, I talked about, I wanted to kind of wrap up this journey of looking at thriving churches. What does it look like to be a church that is not just surviving, but is doing well in a post-Christian and post-COVID world? Now, remember that we described post-Christian as being Christianity is no longer the majority and favored religion in our country here in the United States. For the first time, more than half of the people and the population of our country do not identify as Christian. And a great majority of the ones who do identify as Christian are not associated with any particular congregation. They're not connected to a church. But COVID also dramatically changed the world in which we live. So how do we thrive? How do we do good ministry and be all that God calls us to be in a world the way it is right now? To do that, we've been using Two books by Tom Rainer, Autopsy of a Deceased Church and Anatomy of a Revived Church. And we've spent a lot of time looking at the characteristics that can cause us to die. And I think it's important that we spent that time doing that, because if we don't hear clearly how the things we're doing or failing to do can shorten our lifespan as a church, we're not motivated to change them. It's kind of like if we go to the doctor, the doctor can tell us um, you're overweight, your cholesterol's too high, your your blood pressure's too high, you're not eating enough fiber, um, you're consuming too many sweets or fat or alcohol, or you have some habits that are hurting you like smoking. Um, if we don't hear that, we're not motivated to change. And sometimes we want to minimize it. Well, my blood pressure is a little high, but it's not really high. Like I know somebody else whose blood pressure was dramatically higher than this, and they were okay. They never had a heart attack. Um, So we have to be willing to hear so that we're motivated to change. So we've spent a good bit of time looking at the things that can shorten our lifespan. I'm going to run through the list really quick. One is slow erosion, not paying attention to the little ways things decline over time. The past is the hero. Um, We act like the best days of our church are in the past. We can honor the past without worshiping it and without thinking we have to continue living there or that we have to go back there. The church refused to look like the community. We stop reaching those who are near us. Um, It becomes us and them. And the people that are worshiping with us are other than those who live in the community. The budget moves inward. We stop focusing on making new disciples and reaching people and impacting the world around us. And our budget becomes just about what we like and what keeps us comfortable. The Great Commission becomes the Great Omission. We're not making disciples. Again, it's very much tied to the budget. I think that the budget moving inwardly is a function of us abandoning our commission to go make disciples of Jesus Christ. We become a preference-driven church rather than asking, what does God want us to do? Where is the Holy Spirit leading us? We begin to make decisions based on what makes us happy. Well, I like and I want instead of I believe God is calling us to. 
Pastoral tenure decreases, that, that's one that's harder for us. Um, Dr. Rayner is part of the Baptist faith and in the Methodist church, in our particular part of the Methodist church, we are sent by a bishop and assigned. However, the churches ask for new pastors and pastors ask to leave. And so in churches that are um, declining, and dying, pastors don't want to stay long, and churches don't seem to want their pastors to stay long. And that's particularly true of a pastor with a heart for mission and a heart for making disciples. Uh, The church rarely prays together. Prayer times are mostly perfunctory. There's no intentional time of prayer. The church has no clear purpose. We don't really know what we're here for. Like, if you talk to people Everybody has a different definition of what the best thing we do is and what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to do it. We're not clear on our purpose. We become obsessed over the facilities. Um, we're, we're worried more about property than people, more about maintaining than maintaining what we have than making disciples. All of those were the characteristics that he found churches that died had in common that you could change to live. And so the other book is Anatomy of a Revived Church. And he talks about those churches that saw themselves in those characteristics and decided they wanted to live. And so that's what I want us to do is to internalize the message that we don't want to die. Aniston First has been a great congregation, and I believe it has many wonderful days ahead. God wants to use us to make a difference in the world in which we live, but we must be willing to do so. Of the churches that saw themselves made changes, he came back and looked at what did they have in common? How did they manage to survive and thrive? And he found seven things that they had in common. They accepted responsibility. Far too often, we want to make excuses for why things have declined, why new people are not coming, why we're not seeing professions of faith and new members and baptisms, um, why people are not finding our ministry viable. At some point, we have to say, this is this is my fault. I have contributed to this, or I have failed to be who I needed to be. One of the characteristics of a 12-step program, like Alcoholics Anonymous, is that you have to take responsibility for yourself. It's the very first step. You can't do anything else without it. If we don't admit that we have not done all the things we needed to have done, and we have failed to do some of the things that we did need to do, then it's very hard to change as long as it's somebody else's responsibility or it's just circumstances, then we're just kind of the victim. But that's not what Scripture teaches us. Scripture teaches us that we are more than conquerors, that when God is calling us to do something, He will give us what we need to accomplish that. The second one is we have to overcome the trap of tradition. That was That's connected to the chapter in the other book about the past being the hero. We can honor the past without having to stay there. I was thinking on my drive into the office this morning. My parents were older. I came to live with them when they were in their 40s. And so dad was born in 1917. My mom was born in 1926. And they have vivid memories of their childhood. Both of my parents grew up in homes that did not have electricity in the home. 
In fact, my mom had gone to college in Birmingham before she lived somewhere that had electricity. Now, I'm incredibly grateful for my parents and who they were and how they raised me. I was incredibly blessed. But I love my electricity, and I don't feel the least bit guilty about turning my lights on. My dad grew up in a home without indoor plumbing. He remembers going to the outhouse, and he talks about how miserable that was in the winter when you had to get out of bed and bundle up and go out to the outhouse. You you learned um, to do what you needed to do to not have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. But I don't have any problem with my bathroom that's in my house. So I can honor them. I can love them. I can respect how they went before me. But I don't have to stay there. I don't live like they lived. And we need to capture that in our churches. We definitely want to honor the past. We wouldn't be here as a congregation if there hadn't been those people who went before us. As a matter of fact, our sermon series in the summer of 2022 is going to be about heroes of the faith. And we're going to look at some of those people who have and are making an impact on us. And we're here because they did what they did. But we also want to be those forward-thinking, brave and courageous people that the decisions we make now enable those in years to come to be here as well. The third characteristic is we have to expand the scorecard. We have to decide what we're counting, what matters. Now, as Methodists, this should really resonate with us because Methodists are methodical and we want to count stuff. What matters, we will count. And what we count matters. We count worship attendance. We count giving dollars because worship attendance has been the way we have measured how are we doing How many people are connected to us? How many people are on this journey of faith? And those giving dollars represent not only the sacrificial offerings of those people who are committed to us, but they're the means by which we do ministry and impact the world around us. But we have to count more. Far too often we have failed to count um, discipleship groups. What percentage of our people or involved in a small group? How many of them are growing as a disciple? And more than that, how many of those characteristics do people have all of? Like we want people to be gathering, so coming to worship, involved in the worship life of the community, getting together as a community of faith. There's value in that. Scripture tells us not to abandon getting together having relationships with others who share the same faith. It's how we're encouraged. Worship is how we align ourselves with God. So we want to gather. We want to grow. Everybody needs to be growing. If we were to be in a Bible study for our entire life, we still would not know everything there is to be known about the Bible or about God or how to apply it to our lives. This is a journey of sanctification and becoming more like Christ. Everybody needs to be involved in some way and at some time, in growing in their faith. Everybody should be giving. What we can give and what God lays on our heart to give will be different, but everybody can give something, and we should be. So everybody should be giving, and everybody should be going. They should be serving, getting involved. Being a, a Christian is not about being served. It's about serving. God loves us so much that when God pours that love into our lives, it overflows and we love others because of it. And we do that through service. 
through teaching in the children's department, singing in the choir, being on a committee, volunteering with Shepherd's Table. We are involved in going and making a difference because of our faith. What many churches are not tracking is how many people are doing those. Do we have any idea what percentage of our membership is involved in a small group? And how many of those are involved in two of those? How many people are worshiping and in a small group? And how many of those are also giving? And how many of those are also involved in ministry? We need to be tracking because that's how we know if we're making disciples. So we have to expand our scorecard. The fourth characteristic is we must be committed to powerful prayer. We must be a praying people. Prayer matters. Connection to God matters. God acts when we invite God into our lives and situations, and we want to be active in doing that. And we need to be praying individually and together. We need to be committed to prayer. There are some powerful, powerful movements because they're bathed in prayer. And I believe when prayer declines, it's a sign that we are beginning to drift into what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do. The fifth characteristic is dealing with toxins. Not everything is healthy. Not every attitude is healthy. And unfortunately, not every person is healthy. And so when something has declined to the point that it has become toxic, we have to be willing to address those. Now, this is not easy. Um, As a pastor, it breaks my heart when there's a toxic situation that has to be dealt with. But what happens if you don't remove a toxin? Let's imagine someone has gotten has been bitten by a snake. That snake venom is toxin to the body. It's toxic. You need antivenom. You've got to find some way to get the toxin out. If you don't, it spreads. It kills more tissue. And it can eventually kill the person if the toxin is not contained. So when we have toxic people or toxic attitudes, we have to go to those people and talk to them. We have to challenge that thinking. We have to not let that spread and potentially kill us. We don't do that because we don't want those people with us. We don't do it because we don't love them. We we don't like them. We want them to get out. No, we do it because we love them. Because we want them to have the mind of Christ, Scripture says, to let the attitude, the thinking, the perspective on life in this world be the same one that Christ had. The New Testament encourages us to do that. And so we confront them because we want them to grow. They want, we want them to be a part of us, but we don't want them to kill us. We also must stop seeking silver bullets. We can't look for the miracle cure, the one program. And I've, I've seen a good many of them just in my time in ministry, which has been going on 20 years now. A natural church development was one. Oh, it was going to solve everything. If you did this, you identified your characteristics, you worked on your minimum factor, woohoo, everything was going to be great. Celebrate Recovery has been one of those. All you need to do to grow is start a Celebrate Recovery ministry at your church. We go to seminars and we go to meetings to find out who's growing, and then we want to find out what they did, and we want to go back and copy it at our place. That's really not any different than people who want to lose weight because they want some miracle cure. 
drink this every night before bed and, and you'll lose 70 pounds in 30 days. Any of us who don't know that that cannot be true, we're fooling ourselves. We want it to be true, but it doesn't make it true. We must stop seeking the silver bullet and realize the only answer is to truly be disciple makers, sharing the love of God, inviting people into relationship with Jesus Christ, growing to be more like Christ every day, and welcoming all who come to join that journey with us. That's the answer, is the same answer that has always been the answer. Be the church of Jesus Christ. There's no silver bullet. There's no way around doing that. And the seventh characteristic is choosing meaningful membership. Um, Almost all of us know that our membership roles have way more people on them than people who show up in attendance. Many of them have been on there for years. And if you start talking about cleaning up your membership roles, you'll get incredible pushback from members because you don't want to take that dear friend, that person who's moved, um, someone who's left. We don't want to take them off because we have hope they'll return. Um, We don't want to hurt their feelings. But to have your name on a membership role at a church where you never attend, you never serve, you never come to a class, and you never give, it misunderstands what church membership is about. Church membership is not about being a member so you can have a wedding there or a funeral there, so you can be buried in the cemetery owned by the church. Membership is about saying, I am committed to this congregation. This is where I worship and serve. This is where I grow as a disciple. This is where my relationships with other Christians are centered. Not exclusively, but centered. When we join a United Methodist Church, we promise to support the United Methodist Church and that particular congregation we join with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness to the world. When we have people who aren't doing any of those, they've already abdicated membership. We want to make membership meaningful. I think that also means that when we are choosing leadership for the local church, we choose those who are fully invested as members. We don't give someone a position in hopes it'll make them come back or in hopes it'll get them more involved. No, we take those who are fully invested with everything that they have. They want to see the church do well. And those are the people that we invite into leadership to help lead, guide, shepherd, and coach the rest of us to come alongside the pastors of the church and encourage it. So to kind of land this plane, we have to recognize the things we're doing that are not helping us and may very well be hurting us. And we must choose to do the things that will help us. I think it means getting very clear on why we exist. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And the making of disciples is based on Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you. It's what Jesus says to his disciples, his last conversation on earth before he's gone until he comes back. Go baptize them. Bring them into this faith and teach them. We grow. We we initiate them into the faith and we mature them in the faith. Those are the two things we need to be doing. 
and we do that as all that we have and all that we are glorifies God. We have to become that. And my way of talking about how individuals are growing as disciples is the gather, grow, give, and go. Those are four things we want every person to be involved in. We want to be a thriving church. I think we're a great church. I love being here, and it is my honor to be your pastor. But I also want us to have a strong and stable future for many years to come. And that means we have to choose to thrive in a post-COVID, post-Christian world. Hope you'll join me on that journey. Thank you for being a part of the podcast that have been thriving churches. I hope they've been meaningful to you. And I invite you into further conversation and to talk with us about how you can connect, care, and serve in our church and in the world around us as we seek to be a thriving church.